All right, we come now this morning in our worship of the Lord together to the preaching of the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now, one of the things we're about to pray, and I want to mention this, one of the things that you sometimes see in the Old Testament is the phrase, from Dan to Beersheba. And that's a geographic way of saying from the uppermost part in Israel to the lowermost part in Israel, the whole nation did this. And what I want to encourage us to do this morning is to pray as the church of Jesus Christ from Dan to Beersheba in the sense of everybody in this room calling on the name of the Lord, asking God to change us today. And I hope that's why you're at church this morning, that you want to come and you want to worship God and you want to be changed in the presence of the living God. You want to grow. You want to be made more holy. And I know that heart is all across the room this morning. And so let's join our voices together, pour out our hearts to the Lord, and let's ask for that today. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning... God, we come thanking you today for the blood of Jesus, that you are a Savior, Lord. You're a righteous God and a Savior. God, we thank you for the provision that you have given us in the atoning death of Jesus Christ, that you have put away all the sins of all of your people who have put their trust in you. And God, we find ourselves today in your presence Gathered in your name, Lord, covered by the blood of Jesus as the church of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask today that you would make us holy. Lord, we pray today that you would manifest that there is power in your presence and power in your word. And Lord, we ask for that gracious gift from you. That you would grow us today. That you would sanctify your people. Lord, we ask to be strengthened by your word this morning, that you would stretch out our hearts, Lord, our desires to obey you. Lord, we ask for increase today. God, we pray that you would address us this morning by your word and give us humble hearts, hearts that that hear you speak and hearts that desire to obey. Lord, change us in your presence this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to begin our time together by reading the Word of God. And I want to ask you to stand this morning as we read God's Word together as His church. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to go to verse 14 together this morning. This is the Word of God. Of the living God. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command to you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules. As the Lord, my God, commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation, this is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us 
whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I have set before you today? Verse 9, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children how on the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. This is God's word to Grace Community Church this morning. You may be seated. Now in the early chapters of the book of Deuteronomy, up to this point, chapters 1 through 3, Moses has reminded this nation of their history, of what the Lord God has done for this people. He's brought them out of Egypt. He brought them all the way through that terrible wilderness And he's brought them all the way to the border of Canaan. It's a critical point in Israel's history. And then verse 1 turns the corner and Moses says, And now, in light of all that God has done for this nation, and now Moses leans in and he begins to preach to the people on the very outskirts of the promised land. And I want you to notice in our passage this morning how fundamental, really there's a lot of simplicity here of what Moses is calling the nation to. It's a critical point in their history, but the sermon is so fundamental that it can basically be summarized with these words. Israel is to hear and obey the word of God. In light of all that God has done, and now, what do we do as the people of God? And Moses instructs the nation, listen and obey the word of the Lord. And yet, for all the simplicity in these 14 verses, I want us to be freshly reminded today of the depth that's here. The doctrine of Scripture is here. And I want us to especially lean in this morning of something underneath the doctrine of Scripture is the doctrine of the God who speaks. And so that's where we're headed together this morning in this passage. I want to start by drawing our attention in these 14 verses to the centrality of the Word of God in Moses' sermon to Israel. And you can really see this in two different ways. You can see it in all the different words that Moses uses to describe the Bible, the synonyms that are stacked up in this passage. And you can also see the centrality of the word in how many times Moses repeats these phrases. So I'll give you a a, a quick run through here. In verse 1, Moses calls the word the statutes and the rules that he is teaching the nation. Statutes and rules. Verse 2, 
Moses calls these words the commandments of the Lord. Verse 6, again, he calls them the statutes. Verse 8, the statutes and the rules. Verse 10, God calls these words my words in verse 10. Verse 13, these words are called the Ten Commandments, or literally the ten words that God gave to Israel. And then you see it again in that final verse, verse 14. Again, Moses refers to the statutes and the rules that he is teaching Israel. And so what we have in these 14 verses is a great emphasis is being placed upon the Word of God. And I want us to learn uh, 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 something just in that observation that you have a nation that is being readied by the preaching of Moses to enter into the promised land. And Moses leans in and what does he give them? He gives them the doctrine of Scripture. He highlights the centrality of the Word of God. This is how Israel was to keep their souls diligently by keeping their souls according to the Word of God, according to the statutes of God, the rules of God, the commandments of God, the words that God has spoken to Israel. And this is always the case. God's people keep our souls diligently according to God's word. Not only do we see these words stacked up and repeated, I want you to notice that these terms that we have in Deuteronomy 4, they emphasize the written word of God. You see this especially in the word statutes or the word rules or the word commandments. This is specifically Moses is calling the nation to remember and to keep the things that he is writing down for Israel. The written word of God. You could say it negatively. Moses is not drawing the attention of the people of God to a whisper that they will hear in their prayer closet, but rather to the words that God has written down for His people. The statutes, the rules, and the commandments that God has inscripturated for His people. The Bible. He is calling the nation to faithfulness, to keep themselves according to the Bible, the scriptures, the writings of God. In verse 1, Israel is to hear and obey the word of God as it is being taught by Moses, the man of God. And so who is Moses? Well, one of the things that we could say about Moses is in Exodus 19 and 20, Moses is the one who directly received the law from God on behalf of the whole nation. And in the book of Deuteronomy, the one who received the law of God is now explaining that law and teaching that law to Israel. And Moses' teaching of the law becomes foundational. Think about that. This is not just an ordinary sermon. This is a sermon on the law of God that's going to set the standard for, by which all future sermons and preaching of the law are going to be judged. Are they faithful? Are they not faithful? Depending on if they line up with the words that Moses has instructed Israel. All future prophets, all future scribes, all future teaching priests in Israel, their teaching must be in conformity to the teaching of Moses the man of God. And so this emphasis in chapter 4 is upon the written word of God. And I want you to take a step back and just think about why. Why would that be emphasized here? And why would we need those reminders often in the Christian life? The great importance of the written word of God. One of the things that we could say here is that this is how God is going to rule as king in Israel. 
God is, the Lord is Israel's God. God is king in Israel. How's he going to rule? What's his scepter? Well, he's going to rule his people through his word. In other words, the written word of God is how God reveals his mind to his people, his will to his people, his promises to his people, both to save and to judge. How do we know the mind, the will, the promises of God? And the answer to that is the written word of God, the God that the, the words that God has inscripturated for his people. And you know, this is still how God rules. In, in the midst of his people. Jesus is king in his church. How does Jesus rule his church? And the answer to that is through the written word of God. When we submit to the written word of God, we submit to the king of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. So just like Israel of old, the church of Jesus will always be a people of the book. The covenant that God gave to Israel was words. Okay? The covenant that God has given to the church is words. Our relationship with God will always be governed by the words that God has spoken to us and inscripturated for us for all generations. This is why you should be extremely suspicious of anybody who downplays the importance of the written word of God, the centrality of the Bible in the church, this, even the supremacy of the Bible in the church. Why is it so central? Because the Bible is the written word of God. Now, the doctrine of inscripturation, that's the words that have been inscripturated for the people of God, written down for all generations, it presupposes something really important for us to remember about God. If the church has words that are written down from God, then it means that the, the God of the church is a God who has spoken to us. And I want us to dig into that doctrine this morning, the doctrine of the God who speaks. And one of the things I want to remind you of, even before we dig into that, is I want to remind us how desperately we need the God who speaks and those words that come out of his mouth. And to see this, you need to understand something about yourself first, okay? And, and there's this foundational inadequacy in you and me and all of us that we need to be aware of and the Bible describes it like this in Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 23 we read these words the way of man is not in himself you need to know that about yourself the way of man is not in himself. In other words, that within ourselves, the answers that we desperately need to live, to, 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 to fulfill our purpose in this world, and to know true satisfaction in this world, the answers that we desperately need, we cannot find those answers within ourselves. Why? Because the way of man is not in himself. And when we think we have found those answers within ourselves, the Bible tells us that we're deceived. Proverbs 14 says it this way, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And so every single one of us need words outside of ourselves. We can't find them within. 
And really, we need words outside of this world because it's not just that we can't find them within ourselves individually. We can't even find these answers, these words collectively amongst all the image bearers of God in this creation. We need words not only outside of ourselves, we need words outside of this world. We need revelation. The Bible teaches us that God made us to be creatures of the word to live upon divine revelation God made us to live upon his word Jesus says it this way man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God God made us this way creatures of the word designed by God to live upon his word feed upon his word You were not made to live upon human speculation. You were made to live upon divine revelation. Words from another world. It's part of what it means to be made in the image of the God who speaks. We need words. We can't find these words within ourselves. God made us to be revelation receivers with our spirits just as needy for His Word as our body needs bread to survive. And one of the warnings the Bible gives us is not only can we not find these words in ourselves, we can never find these words in any idol, in any false god. The Bible describes the nature of idols as fundamentally mute. M-U-T-E. Cannot speak a word to us. And this is repeated all throughout the Bible. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. You had no words. Isaiah describes false gods in the exact same way. Isaiah 41 verse 22. Isaiah mocks these idols for their inability to speak. Think about it. He says, tell us the former things that we may consider them. Tell us what is to come hereafter that we may know that you are God's. Do good or do harm that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing and your work is less than nothing. False gods can't speak. They can't reveal anything to you. They are nothing and they say nothing. We see the same truth in 1 Kings 18 where we have this confrontation on on Mount Carmel between uh, the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And we're told in that chapter that these false prophets, they call out to their false god from morning until evening. Over and over and over again. And twice in that chapter, we read these words. But there was no voice. And no one answered them. There was no voice, and no one answered them. You see, the proclamation of the Bible, and we need to learn it this morning, is there is only one God who speaks. There is no other God who speaks. There is one God who gives words from another world, words that we were created to live upon. There's one speaking God, the one true God. And living God. In other words, the words that we need come from one source, not two, not five, one source. And Moses reminds Israel that this is the lesson that they learned at Horeb. You learn this lesson, you learn this lesson that there is one living God who speaks. And he does this in verse 10. 
He reminds them on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they would learn to fear me all the days that they live upon the earth and that they may teach their children so. Moses reminds the nation that God gathered them to Horeb. That's another word for Mount Sinai. And that they were gathered to that mountain to hear the voice of the living God. And Sinai was an awesome scene. It's hard to describe it. Even the language that the scripture gives to us, you have this awestruck nation, this traumatic moment, cataclysmic holiness on this mountain. God came down in a fire theophany, not like a burning bush that Moses saw, but a whole mountain burning like a torch with the presence and the glory of Yahweh. The the nation is awestruck. They see this mountain being consumed by the flames, smoke rising up to heaven's flame, rising up to the heart of heaven. Imagine it. Verse 11, the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven. Exodus 19 tells us that there were trumpet blasts in this moment that were so loud that they terrified the people. There was lightning, there was thunder, there was smoke and darkness in a mountain burning. Smoke ascending to heaven. Striking the nation with trauma. And the Bible says that the people, Exodus 19, and listen, even the mountain greatly trembled. God caused the mountain to quake when God came down in the midst of his people. And so Moses is calling Israel, remember Horeb. Remember that holy place. Remember that holy moment where the Lord came down, gathered you there. Remember what you saw. And yet for all that Israel would have seen with their eyes, is it not amazing that the deepest mark that Sinai would have made upon this nation is not what they saw, but what they heard. Is that not amazing? Verse 12, Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. And you heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. I remember being amazed as a younger Christian. I had read through the book of Exodus at least a couple of times. And I don't know how I missed this. That the first time that God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel, He spoke them audibly from the fire directly to the whole nation. They heard the voice of God. Verse 13, and he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. Now I want you to imagine that moment. That awesome moment where that voice comes booming from the fire. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods besides me. Preaching the commandments. One, two, three, all the way down to ten. Hearing the voice of the living God. Exodus chapter 20 tells us that that, those words came with such authority and power that the nation begged Moses, please tell him, don't ever do that again because we're scared we're going to die. 
We have heard the voice of God and yet we live. It's the power of the Word of God. At Horeb, Israel met the God who speaks. Not some mute idol, but the God who speaks words. Verse 12, and the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. Now think about this. Why does Moses reference Horeb at all? That's back there. They're about to go into the promised land. Why are we talking about Exodus chapter 20? It's because those words that were spoken at Sinai carry the exact same authority. Listen, as the statutes, the rules, and the commandments that Moses is teaching this nation. Remember Sinai. Remember you heard the voice of the living God. But Moses is now teaching this nation the words of God, the written word of God. I want you to know this. One of the great battles that we face is the battle to believe that the written Word of God carries the exact same authority as the words that were spoken directly from the fire. Ask yourself this question this morning. I mean, think about this. Which words had more authority? The words that Israel heard booming from the fire or the words that Israel read off the tablets that Moses brought down from the mountain? Which has more authority? And the answer is they're the exact same. Same God, same words, same authority. What you do with one word and what you do with the other word, it's the exact same thing. And that's the crisis of faith that we find ourselves in every day because we don't see what they saw on Sinai, but the word is coming with the same authority, the authority of God Himself. Friends, do you realize the implications of having a God-breathed Bible? Of having the written Word of God. The tremendous privilege that we find ourselves in, that we have these words from another world. Think of where you would be if you didn't have this. If God had not spoken... We could never know what is objectively true or false. We'd find ourselves in the same you know, soup of human opinion that we see every day in the media. If God had not, has not spoken, you could never know what is objectively right and objectively wrong in every generation, in every human culture. You have no standards. You have no words from another world that make sense of this world if God has not spoken. If our God has not spoken, we would be destined to wander through the fog of human opinion our whole life long. No firm place to lay our head. No firm place to plant our feet. But church, this morning we are being reminded that our God is the God who speaks. Our God has spoken. We don't live off of speculation any longer. That's not us anymore. We're in Jesus Christ. We now live upon divine revelation from heaven. God breathed words. So we have tremendous privilege. We also have tremendous obligation. A God-breathed Bible gives us tremendous privilege. 
But it's also a tremendous obligation because the question now is, what are you going to do with those words? You have those words, what are you going to do with those words? It is no mute idol who has spoken to us, but the one true and living God. Which brings us to our second heading this morning. What is the proper response to the Word of God? In other words, if God has spoken to us, what are we obligated to do with that Word? And this passage mentions two things. Verse 1, we are obligated to listen. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you. Now I'm going to give you an example. And it's sort of weird, but I'm going to explain it. Okay. I want you to imagine that next month, planet Earth started receiving messages from intelligent life on another planet. Trying to communicate with us. Pause right there. I don't believe in such. Okay. This is just a hypothetical example, right? Let's just play this out, right? We, planet Earth, start, started receiving messages from intelligent life. I want you to imagine next month what this world would look like in light of that reality. Let me describe a few things. Every headline on every newspaper, what are they saying to us? 24-7 on every news outlet. What are they saying to us? All over social media. What are they saying to us? People would be listening. They'd be paying attention to words from another world. It's not hard to imagine. But here's the thing. We don't live in that world. We don't live in the Star Wars world. We live in the real world that was made by the God who speaks. We do have words. God has spoken to us. And what ought to be happening all over this created world is listening, hearing Him, paying attention. What is He saying to us? And so I want to ask you that this morning. What have you done with God's words? God is a speaking God. He's the only God who speaks. What have you done with His words? Have you paid attention to them? Or do you find yourself ignoring them? Setting them aside? Busy with other things is the word of God precious to you or do you think about it like a common thing do you find yourself as a Christian you were once gripped by these things but you're colder to the word than you ever dreamed you could be what are you doing with the word of God the fact that God has spoken creates an obligation for us to listen to Him. To pay attention to what He has said. There ought to be an ambition in your life that swallows up every other thing that you're going after. And one of the ways that you could describe that great ambition is searching out the words of your God. Seeking to understand what He said to you. Seeking to bring your life in conformity to His words. I want to know the words of my God. I want to know the words. I want to know what He said to me. I want to know His mind, His will, His promises. You ought to listen. Wisdom says this to us in Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8, verse 34, Blessed is the one who listens to me. 
watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. It should be your daily habit to wait at the gates of wisdom. How do you do that? Every day you get yourself into the written word of God. And not this mechanical thing, check, I'm doing it. But with this posture that I am waiting at the gates of wisdom. I'm ready to hear wisdom speak to me. With that heart that prays and cries out, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. This ought to be the discipline of every Christian. What do you do daily when you get some time alone with God? Well, I wait at the gates of wisdom. Ready for wisdom to speak. You know the kind of people that do this are humble people. I want to highlight that. You know, we mentioned that a few times over the years. But one of the things that's often neglected is the thing that keeps us out of our Bibles is pride. Why would you not wait at the gates of wisdom? Because you don't think you need it. Why would you wait at the gates of wisdom, ready to hear wisdom speak? Because you know that the way of man is not in man. And I need these words to live. I don't know how to go out and come in. I need the words of my God. Like bread for my body. I need the word for my spirit. And so we should listen to the word of God. The second obligation that we have in this passage is the obligation to obey the Word of God. If God has spoken to us, we are obligated to hear it and to obey it. And you see this all throughout this passage. Verse 1, do them. Verse 2, keep them. Verse 5, do them. Verse 6, keep them and do them. Verse 14, do them in the land that you are going over to possess. Israel is to be no mere hearer of the word, as though listening meant, oh man, I just love to listen. No, real listening includes obedience to the word. Not a mere hearer, but a doer of the word of God. And remember, Moses has in view the written word of God, okay? This is not, you know, I heard this whisper and I'm doing this thing and that's how I serve God and obey God. No, you bring your life into conformity to the written words of God for his church. In other words, the doctrine of the Bible is always connected to the doctrine of God, always, what you do with the Bible is counted as doing that thing towards God himself. And this is what, this is, these are the implications of us believing and confessing together that we have a God-breathed Bible. That means when we don't believe that God-breathed Bible, we don't believe who? That's right, God who wrote that Bible. And it also means when we believe that God-breathed Bible, who are we really believing? The God that wrote that Bible. When we obey the Bible, we obey God. When we disobey the Bible, we disobey God himself. What you do with the Bible is counted as doing that thing toward God himself. That's why, you know, any kind of games that are played with the Bible are ultimately attacks on the author of the Bible. Things like this. Well, you know there's errors in the Bible. Oh, really? So the author of the Bible has not given us a God-breathed perfect book. It always works this way. If there's errors in the Bible, then that impugns the author of the Bible. Or if there are standards in the Bible that are just wrong and this law that God gave to Israel is a wicked law, well, guess what? God, God, that's God's word. That's God's word. 
same stuff with you know homosexuality or you know the gender wars that you know this stuff is really outdated again what you do with the bible is what you do towards god himself those are attacks on the author of scripture Verse 2 reminds us that God has given us a sufficient standard to live by. He's richly provided for his people. Look at it. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God. So we have that phrase that shows up several times in both the Old Testament and the New. Don't add to his word. And don't take away from his word. In other words, that God's revelation to his people is perfect, is sufficient. We have a sufficient standard to live by. Everything that we need for salvation and Christian living is in the book, in the written word of God. Psalm 19 verse 7 says it this way, the law of the Lord is perfect. That's what God's word is, it's perfect. God is richly provided for us. We're not supposed to add to it, we're not supposed to take away from it, why? Because it's perfect. And because scripture is perfect, God calls us to obey, listen, All of it. All of it. Don't take away from it. Don't add to it. Obey the whole thing. That's what Israel is charged with. In other words, don't treat the Bible like those uh, buffet lines where you go through and you say, you know, I'll take this meat, these three vegetables, and, you know, roll instead of cornbread. You know, take what you like, leave what you don't like, Never, God's people are to never treat the Bible like that. You obey all of it. All of it comes from God. All of it is for our good. All of it is righteous standards. God's people don't sift the Bible. Deuteronomy 12 verse 32 says it this way. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do it. You shall not add to it or take from it. And the last heading is Israel is reminded that this obedience that they're called to, it's no empty thing. It's no, you know, this would be really good if you, you know, applied this principle of obedience to your life. That's not the terms that he gives them here. Obeying God is a matter of life and death. It is as serious as heaven and hell. It is a matter of life and death. The highest of stakes are at play when we obey or disobey the word of God. And so chapter 4 sets life and death before this nation. If they obey the law, God will bless them with life in the land. If they disobey the law, God will bring death and remove this nation from their land. And so in other words, in these 14 verses, Israel is being warned, your national existence is at stake if you disobey these commandments. And to really drive this in, in verses 3 and 4, Israel is called to remember this terrible event at Baal Peor. I'll mention this quickly. This was uh, the sin of the second generation. Not the first generation that died in the wilderness. Baal Peor was the sin of the second generation. And listen, it's a sin that was committed just just right before the sermon in Deuteronomy on the very outskirts of the promised land on the plains of Moab. The second generation worshipped idols. On the very border of the promised land, these events, this event is recorded in Numbers 25. Thousands committed idolatry. They went after Moabite women who caused them to worship Moabite gods. And the Bible says that 24,000 idolaters were executed in a single day. 
A zealous priest is mentioned in Numbers 25 named Phineas, who he's commended for stopping this judgment plague that broke out in Israel by killing two idolaters with a spear. Again, this event would have been fresh on the memory of this second generation. And they were to learn how serious disobedience to God is. It's no light thing. It's a matter of life and death. Baal Peor reminded them of just how easy their inheritance could be forfeited even on the very shores of the Jordan prior to entering the promised land. And so what is Israel to do? God has spoken. They must hear. They must obey Him. It is a matter of life and death. And so what is Israel to do? Well, Moses calls them to action in verse 9. He says these words, Only take care and, listen, and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And so as we close this morning, I want to call Grace Community Church to the same thing that Moses called Israel to. I want to call us this morning to keep our souls diligently by giving attention to the Word of God. How do we do this? Well, there are parallels here. There are parallels here. Just as God has spoken to Israel, God has spoken to us. God has given us words, and they are no empty words. The Bible tells us that not only has God spoken to us like God has spoken to them, the Bible tells us God has spoken something better to us. We have something better than what they had. We have a better word than God spoke to Israel. The same God who spoke out of the midst of the fire has spoken to us fully and finally in Jesus Christ. Listen to how Hebrews says it. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. The Son is God's final sermon to mankind. It is the full word of God. It is the final word from God. In times past, God spoke in many times in many ways. But in these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son. Meaning that every prior word from God was to lead us to this final word of God. The Word incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, the full disclosure of the nature of God, the exact imprint of the glory of God. The same God who spoke from the fire is the God who saves sinners by the gospel of Jesus Christ through words. The gospel is news. It's an announcement. It's a declaration of the words that have been accomplished by Jesus Christ. God has spoken to us. Jesus has given us words of salvation. He accomplished it and then he inscripturated it for his church to such the degree that when you believe the written word of God, you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question is this morning, are you listening? Are you paying attention to what God has said in his son? Hebrews chapter 2, first four verses. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention 
to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we, we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Church, we keep our soul diligently by paying much closer attention to what God has spoken to us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, lest we drift from it. We keep our souls by guarding them with God's Word. It is no small privilege to hear the Word of God. And I want you to feel that privilege this morning. Think about it. God decides who hears special revelation. Always been that way. God decided that at Sinai. Who got to hear the Ten Commandments at Sinai? Those who God decided would hear those words. God always decides who hears special revelation. And this is the same way in the gospel. God decides who hears the gospel. Which means if you have heard the gospel, it's because God decided that you would hear his word. Think about how much mercy, how much grace has been given to you. That you have heard the word of God, the, even the final word of God. God's speech in his son. There are millions of image bearers of God in our generation that don't have that privilege. They never heard that sermon. But God has been merciful to you. He's allowed you to hear His word. Tremendous privilege. Ought to humble us because He didn't decide that you would hear His word because we're just this awesome group of people. There's nothing in us that makes us worthy of hearing the living God speak to us and, and we still live. It ought to humble us. God, thank you that you let me hear your word. But it also obligates us. It also obligates us. What have you done with the word of God? Hebrews reminds us, woe to us if we hear God speak to us in his son and then turn our attention elsewhere. Think about how out of this world strange it would be that anybody in that crowd at Sinai would hear that booming voice from heaven and their very next thought, oh, what's for lunch? What's that next task I got to do on my to-do list? What's that email, you know, I didn't, I didn't return, you know, yesterday? How out of this world weird and strange would that be for that to be the response of hearing the word of the living God? But it's the same with us. If God has spoken to us in Christ, then we must pay, listen, much closer attention to the things that we have heard. And let's ask God this morning that he would help us to do that, to cling to the words of Jesus to the very end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for this church and the saints that are represented here, Lord. And I know, God, that they are precious to you, Lord Jesus. You spilled your blood for such people, Lord. And God, we cry out this morning as a family 
members of the household of God. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us this morning. Make us like those disciples, Lord Jesus, that when you asked them, do you want to leave? They said to you, Lord, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. God, awaken us this morning to our privilege. And God, we pray that you would stretch out our heart today toward your word. Make us a hungry people, a diligent people, a trusting people, and an obedient people. Lord, magnify your name and your word in the midst of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.